Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the Lashing Out Podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. He's Kevin Quigley. I'm Jared Pregar. Kevin, we started off the week with a bang. Penn State lands their guy at wide receivers coach after what seemed like a long week of speculation. There are multiple names thrown about, multiple transfers that we had to watch for. They finally have their guy in Marcus Hagens. Yeah, and I'm excited for it. He's a longtime UVA assistant. Um, Penn State UVA has born and raised, right? Like, yeah, he player, was a coach. Like, this is a UVA guy, and now he's in Happy Valley. Yeah, from the seven five seven. If you're not from Virginia, that's down Newport News, Hampton, Virginia Beach area. Uh, There's a very prideful of their area code area, so that is commonly just referred to as the seven five seven. There's like seven cities down there. We won't get into geography. That's Jared's uh, favorite school subject. But um, yeah, he's been at UVA since, uh, what, 2011, and he has survived two head coaches leaving. He was hired by Mike London, who is no longer their coach. Bronco Mendenhall followed Mike London. He's no longer their head coach and was again retained with their new head coach and Tony Elliott. Position coaches don't really stick stick around through head coaching changes, and I think that's really good that he is like that's just indicative of the kind of coach he is. That three head coaches all wanted them to be his wide receivers coach, and then he was promoted to associate head coach at UVA this year. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, that speaks volumes to the character that he has, but also the skills that he has as both a recruiter and as a position coach. Because let's be real, Taylor Stubblefield was not a bad position coach. I think they, they learned a lot of fundamentals, and they, they really improved in that area with consistency. But this is a guy that does it both on the field and on the recruiting trail, and that's exactly what Penn State needs. Now, you mentioned Virginia and geography. I listened I, – I was I was eavesdropping on this random podcast earlier, you know, over the weekend, and I heard somebody talking about Country Roads, which is a West Virginia song, but I heard Virginia reference to his original recipe, Virginia – and I think that is the exact way that I'm going to refer to Virginia uh, from here on out. But, you know, for for him to come to, to Penn State, you know, he has that Anthony Poindexter connection. So, obviously, Franklin respects Poindexter. Poindexter is, has done a great job. But Hagen's man, that's what I love about it. He's he's left a, com- a place where he's comfortable. And now he's, I think, ready to take this, this wide receiver's room to the next level. And I think that he's a guy that can do that if if he has the right right tools in place. And and very quickly they did. They put those they put that in place over the course of the last week. Yeah. And not only is he a wide receiver coach, but he is diverse in terms of football. He was a quarterback at UVA, kind of played a hybrid quarterback wide receiver because he was there during Matt Schaub's the reign of Matt Schaub at UVA. So he played a couple of games while Matt Schaub was hurt. Matt Schaub comes back. Then he moves back out to wide receiver. I think he even had an interception his freshman year, just playing both sides of the ball, like just a versatile football player. Um, he's 10th all time in UVA career passing yards and career passing touchdowns. So a guy who played wide receiver in the NFL drafted in the fifth round, uh, let's see, it was with the Rams and they had a cup of coffee with like the chiefs Colts and the then Redskins. So like, Really high-level college quarterback, good enough athlete, and understood the position enough to play wide receiver in the NFL, like completely just changed positions, kind of like Logan Thomas did uh, Virginia Tech 
quarterback now, a tight end for the commanders. But that really helps coaching and that kind of helps like just help it gives your sitch kind of another quarterback. I wouldn't call him maybe a quarterback guru, but it just kind of helps aid in that too. So like, you know, coaching the receivers to say, this is what your sitch is probably gonna be telling Aller to do. Like this is how you get on page with your quarterback. This is how like you help build that relationship and, you know, running consistent routes. So your quarterback can anticipate you out of your break and whatnot. Like that just has to help wide receiver chemistry. So even though Taylor Stubblefield was a great position coach, Marcus Higgins seems like an upgrade because of all of that. Like Taylor Stubblefield wasn't that high level of a college quarterback. No. And then Stubblefield was a, was an excellent big 10 wide receiver. Don't get me wrong. But I love what you, you brought up. He was a quarterback. And, and when you're a quarterback coaching receivers, you're able to tell them what the quarterback is looking for on different routes, on, on different coverages. And I think that is huge. So you mentioned that and, and being able to be strong in that. I think that's going to be a really big factor down the road. It might not seem like a lot, but it's just those little things, you know, that add up, that take this team and this group of receivers from good to great to elite. And, and that margin of error isn't very big. So they're able to do that, and I think that's huge. But again, this is a guy that can recruit original recipe Virginia incredibly well. Yeah, and and Penn Penn State. Yeah, and that's an area that they need to recruit, and they want to recruit, but haven't really done all too well in that. They have done well in the DMV, but not specifically in all out in Virginia. And I think that's the thing that, that Franklin loves the most about this hire is this is a guy that's going to help immediately on the recruiting trail. And I think that's really the the value that he brings here more than anything. Yeah. And being a native of Virginia, like the DMV is cool, but there's some dudes down in the seven, five, seven area. He's from there. And like, like you said, Penn state has done fairly well in Virginia. Penn state pulled six out of the top 11 commits from Virginia this cycle. So this is only going to bolster that. I'm not saying, Virginia high school football is level or on par with Pennsylvania. I would say they're probably pretty similar, but Virginia, the fact that an out-of-state program was able to recruit six out of the top 11, including three out of the top five from Virginia shows that it's a vulnerable state. Brent Pry really hasn't gained any traction. I mean, he's only been there a couple of years at Virginia Tech. Like this is only a second recruiting cycle, but getting that connection down into Virginia Beach and Higgins has kind of recruited down into North Carolina, South Carolina, over into Tennessee, like kind of where Virginia has to pull for recruits. So really just divert, like expands the recruiting profile for Virginia, for Penn State into Virginia and deeper kind of into the mid-Atlantic. And that's going to be huge. And it's already gained traction on the recruiting trail. Uh, Makai White, he's a 2024 target. And I don't really want to comment on open recruiting because he's not committed or anything but he was like yeah I guess he was kind of had a relationship with Marcus Higgins before wasn't really interested maybe not really interested in UVA but he's kind of a top Virginia recruit in the next cycle and he's already like yeah like that hire kind of bumps Penn State up a notch so you you can't be mad about that already it's it's been what 12 hours since he's been hired yeah I think that's I think it's a really good hire um but it remains to be seen what it's going to result to in on the field performance. But right now, I mean, on paper, this is about as good a hire as you can get 
outside of the popular guys, right? Like we talked about Josh Gaddis, potentially Bobby Ingram, some big name guys, but this is in the works for quite a bit. And I think this had a lot to do with some of the guys that have come to Penn state from the portal um, in recent, in recent weeks, recent days, but we're going to talk more about the, what the receiver room looks like when we come back on the Lashing Out podcast and the Sports Now Network. Welcome back to the second segment of the Lashing Out podcast and the Sports Now Network. He's Kevin. I'm Jared. Kevin, the wide receivers room took a hit really at the end of the regular season with the with the loss of Parker Washington. We all knew that Mitchell Tinsley was going off to the NFL, so there they're down two of their top five receivers. Insert DeAndre Lambert-Smith into the spotlight, had a big-time game in the Rose Bowl. Voila. Harrison Wallace the third, or Trey Wallace, excellent. Liam Clifford starting to step up later in the game, later in the season. But they had to go to the portal to get some help, and they did, and in a big way. Yeah, we talked about it last week, Dante Cephas. We we mispronounced that one wrong last week. Sorry, Dante. Um, and then they picked up Malik McLean from Florida State. He's a sophomore, so I think he's going into his junior season for Penn State. So he's got a couple more years of eligibility left. He's 6'4", 200 pounds. Kind of reminds me of like a Derek Moy-sized uh, Penn State wide receiver. And I think that's going to pay dividends because Penn State really hasn't had that big guy. And um, not only is he good, potentially going to be good outside, but Josh Pate described him as a devastating blocker because he was talking about watching highlights of him. He's like, why the heck is this? This is a running play. And McLean's just pancake blocking dudes and push him into the next county. So that's got to really help out the backfield. And it's, I mean, that, that that pays dividends with your teammates and your coaches. Exactly. And I think that's the big thing is you need a hard nosed guy out, out wide and to, to lay the boom blocking. I think that's just as important, um, especially in the offense that they have. I mean, Aller is not a guy that's going to run first, but he is a guy that can run and blocking downfield for guys like Aller and Nick Singleton and Catron Allen are going to be huge. Um, and, and you saw kind of what what blocking downfield can do, you know, in the Rose Bowl with some of those big runs, especially that Singleton run. Um, but, but yeah, just getting guys that are fundamentally sound and, and capable of, of doing the little things the right way. And that's just going to add up. And, you know, and I think that's really the biggest thing for Penn state that, that they've needed is just really honing down on the fundamentals and just getting off getting off their blocks and getting to their blocks and making it happen. And they've done a very good job of that with who they've gone out and gotten, uh, in the portal. Yeah, and uh, I wouldn't be. Cons- I looked up his stats this this uh, earlier today. Seventeen receptions, two hundred six yards for three touchdowns. Wouldn't be too concerned about that. There was he was in the transfer portal for a reason. He's just seeking more opportunity. So he's going to come to Penn State. Obviously, they offered him. Obviously, they want him. They want the experienced guys. He's going to come into that crowded receivers room. But you have to think if he's a junior, a lot of those guys are just rising sophomores, rising maybe a couple rising juniors. So you got to think he has the leg up and with his size, like Penn state doesn't have another receiver like that on their roster, unless you're looking at like Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson and Khalil Dinkins, like 
that's the tight end room. They, they don't have that size at wide receivers. So it'll be interesting to see how they can utilize that because they really haven't had somebody taller than what, six foot, six one out there. So like that extra three inches create, can create some matchup issues with some of these smaller cornerbacks. Like what's your average cornerback? Five, ten, six foot. So this guy's got four to six inches on him. Like it's got to help others in the offense because they might have to start double teaming him just based off his size or else Aller's just going to be throwing him jump balls all day long. Yeah, and that's the thing. Having that diversity, you know, getting a guy that's a little taller, has more size, getting some shiftiness, that's all going to help Aller. And that is also going to open up, open up the running game, which has proven itself to be successful now and that they're capable of that. And I think that is huge for Penn State. You have so many layers to this offense now that are only going to help Aller, who was able to get enough experience this year, I think, to go in – to next year with confidence and obviously he showed a lot of poise but the confidence of a of a savvy veteran even though he's only going to be a true sophomore and and got a limited number of reps yeah and getting that extra experience out there with Cephas and McLean coming back in or coming into the locker room because like I said earlier it's it's a really young receiving room and now they just had those two experienced guys to really help you know, they've been there. They've done that in more situations than probably Omari Evans or uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith or Caden Saunders. Like, you can just get guys with more experience and more experience in college does not hurt anybody. Exactly. And that's, you know, it's a, it's a win-win for Penn State. I know we talked about the wide receivers as a whole last year or last week, I should say. But I think it, it, it warrants this. It warrants this talk because – this is a room that now has gotten upgraded significantly with on both in the classroom with the coaching, but also on the field as well. And I think that really this speaks volumes to what James Franklin is trying to accomplish. They're not that far off from competing with the elite and, and, and beating the elite, I should say, because they've competed with everybody other than Michigan this year. So getting to that point and, and being able to, to compete and beat the elite is the Wolverines and, and Ohio State. That's what Penn State is striving for. They're going to be expanded playoffs. Getting to that playoff is going to mean more and more for this program, mainly because it's going to add up to money. It's going to add up to a bunch of different things, but ultimately it's the players that you have in your room and your program that are going to get you to that point. They are right on the doorstep. They beat Utah candidly. They competed with Ohio State for – 90% of the game we're and, and probably should have won that game. If not for a couple of mistakes, Michigan, it just didn't have, and that's just, and that's, it is what it is, but now they are right there and this higher. And these guys that are in this receivers room, give this offense such a more well-rounded uh, approach that I think people are going to be very excited. If this comes to fruition on Saturdays in the fall. Yeah, in Michigan this year was more on the defensive side. The offense didn't really show up as much as we would have liked it to. But this expanded wide receiver room is kind of what Ohio State has had the edge over Penn State on for the past several years. So this adds like Penn State's going to be three, four, five great, not maybe not great, but really high level college receivers. And they just give Ohio State that little bit of extra to think about. Like this year, you had Parker Washington and Mitchell Tinsley, which was a great duo plus the trio in the tight end room. But now Penn State's going to be three, four, 
really high end college receivers deep plus a three deep tight end room. And we can get in later in the offseason about potential breakout stars because I think there is one in that tight end room. But like this seems to like really level the playing field between Penn State and Ohio State. And then it's just gonna be like so like you're probably pretty much neck and neck, especially like, you know, odds books for Ohio State, they might get like a two or three point home favorite, but you have Michigan at home, so like better offense. Michigan game was Manny Diaz's first real Big Ten road test. I mean, you had Purdue, but they get them at home this year, and you have to think a year, year and a half of extra experience for Manny Diaz, like knowing how the Big Ten's going to work, knowing how Michigan is. They do get Blake Corum back, so it is still going to be that that duo in the backfield for them. But, man, 2023 football season is going to be shaping up to be a big one. Right, and I'm, I'm excited to see what Penn State has. Obviously, we have the spring game coming up here relatively quickly it'll be here before we know it but we're going to talk a little bit more about the world of college sports and college athletics when we come back to the third and final segment of the lashing out podcast in the sports now network welcome back to the third and final segment of the lashing out podcast on the Navy sports now network He's Kevin. I'm Jared. Kevin, the NIL name image likeness is both a blessing and a curse. It is a blessing for the players to be able to make money off of their names. It is a curse for the players to be able to make money off of their names because the NCAA doesn't give a flying shit about what they do and how they do it. And that is a huge, huge problem. And that's where you get into situations like the one at Florida where a quarterback recruit is, or I'm sorry, a recruit is getting offered $13 million over the course of four years to play a game. That is not ideal for a college program to have to deal with. Yeah. And Jane Rashada, that 13 million contract, $13 million NIL deal. I would it's not a contract. It's an NIL deal. He mm-hmm. would have been the second highest paid person in US uh football building, only behind Billy Napier, the head coach. They had three assistants or they have three corners making over a million dollars. But this guy's triple in that. And he's not even a proven college commodity. Drake Drake May's getting had allegedly offers of five million dollars. Pat Narduzzi said that I believe Mac Brown substantiated that claim. So I'm going to believe Mac Brown before I believe Pat Narduzzi, but that's a proven college commodity. And Drake may like lighting up the ACC kind of in the Heisman talks midway, eight, 10 games into the season, eight or nine games into the season last year before, you know, the world kind of caught up with UNC, but like this guy's an 18 year old high school senior getting offered $3.25 million a year. Like it's the NC is and allegedly the NCAA might step in on this one. I'm like, you can't be doing that. But like other coaches have said, uh, anonymously said, like, no one cares about the NCAA right now. They are they have zero power in terms of regulating this NIL stuff because it's like, how can you prove that they offered money before the guy committed or signed the signed his letter of intent because like there was hundred dollar handshakes happening way before NIL and they couldn't even find that stuff when it was blatantly illegal. Like Reggie Bush was getting escalades and his 
everybody in his family is getting houses and whatnot. And like, you can't tell me Tim Tebow, Trevor Lawrence, Zion Williamson has let allegedly maybe got like $5 million or some crazy amount of money at Duke to play basketball long before NIL. So like how is the NCAA, NCAA going to even regulate this? It's just. Well, and that's the thing they didn't, and they haven't from the start when they had the opportunity, they just said, Nope, we don't care about it. And now it's coming back to bite them in the ass because guess what? He's not, at, he's not going to be at Florida now. Um, no, I heard that, Arizona State. I think he took an unofficial visit to Arizona State this week. Who knows where he's going to go? But we talk about these prospects all the time. They're not they, when they get to college. It's a different ball game. There are no such thing as a five star uh, uh, on a college roster. The, the stars are lost, right? They can be this, that, and the other thing. But when they get to college, it's a it's a clean slate. But but the NCAA is so hypocritical, right? Because you have this dude that's getting offered $13 million to play and, and commit to Florida. And the way that they're going to circumvent this is that the programs aren't directly involved, quote unquote. Right. But then you have Michigan, who's the NCAA is super pissed off about. Like they are like ex girlfriend, salty, pissed off at Michigan and, and Harbaugh because he just keeps lying, which I think is hilarious. But you know, they contacted recruits during a COVID dead period and had an analyst coach too much, but, and they're pissed off about that, right? But when it comes to players getting paid $13 million a year to commit to a school, they're like, ah, we don't care. When yeah, it, this is a big time problem because it's only going to get worse. The, the transfer portal is great for, for when there are situations that arise where you need to transfer or, or what have you. But the transfer portal, because it, it like centered around NIL, is not good for college athletics. It, it's not good for those those smaller programs that just can't compete with the with the with everybody else with the big name schools, the, the Texas A and M's of the world. Like that's why Texas A and M's banging out top recruiting class after top recruiting class, and then they all leave because they get their money and they run, or they they're just promised the world and they get. You know, just a, a third world country or, or something like that. And it's just not what they expected. And college football is not going to be what you expect. you got to go in and earn it every single day. You're the big man on campus, and then you come to college, and you're like, oh, I'm not the big man on campus. I'm the low man on the totem pole. I've got to do this, this, and this just to get on the field. So it's it's not fun to deal with. And 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 that's, and that's the thing. And what we're teaching these kids now is, okay, well, things don't go your way. You're not starting. Well, you can transfer and it's not an issue. Yeah. And like, like you said, it's, I saw a podcast with Derek Henry this week and they was talking about like the difference between the college and the college and NFL. He's like, NFL is night and day difference. I have to believe that even like the big time high school football, like not even all of those guys are going D one. A lot of those guys, some of those guys aren't even going to college. So like the, the step up from high school to college, like, yeah, you get some of those freaks that just come in and just ball out year one. You know, your Abdul Carters, your Micah Parsons, Nick Singleton, K Trot Out, like really star freshman, Johnny Manziel just lit the world on fire his freshman year, what have you. But like that's that's not the normal. Like that's that's the abnormality. That's the exception to the rule there. And it's just buku bucks. It's stupid money. Like at some point in time, the money's gonna run out because like they're kind of just going all in right now. You know, but eventually, like some of these boosters are gonna be like, man, we paid thirteen million dollars for this guy. Yeah, right. What happens when the guy's a buck? That's gonna happen. Not every five star ends up going to the NFL. 
Yeah, they gotta force the kid to transfer or something, like make it like a really toxic environment. Like, are you gonna get like booster yeah. hazing on the college players because they like like kind of like they do with coaches, like force them out? Like colleges aren't gonna be able to unenroll kids because the boosters overspent for me. It's a bust. Yeah, it's it, it, it's it, it's a runaway train that nobody can and nobody wants to get off of because you just don't know how this is going to end up. Like it's going to end up in a train wreck. But it's a train wreck that nobody wants to look away from right now because it's so polarizing. People are making money left and right, and they're not doing anything. Like, and they've they've expanded it into states now. So, like, like what is the value of a high school high school athlete right now? I I think there are, are select few high school athletes that you know that are valuable that have brands and names and all that, and they're and they're highly recruited guys, but not every school has that not every every school is you know any bishop Borman, i guess is a, is a good example like the guys that that just toss out five star after five star so it, it's just what what's next and and right now this is a this is a terrible situation that that might seem great oh yeah they're these kids are making names off their money off their name but like when's enough enough because this is not going to be sustainable forever no it's not and i i get i neither of us have any issues if you're listening like these guys hate nil we don't hate nil we love nil it also makes our job a hell of a lot easier when we get to talk for 10 minutes about a dude getting 13 million dollars to go to uf it's great but it's the principle of it just sucks people should be making money off of their name i would love to have a name valuable enough to make money off of it but instead i have to pay to use my own name so you know it's just one of those situations where the ncaa had this opportunity to come in regulate hey well you can't do this or you can't do that well and they didn't and they missed the boat and now they are just sitting there up the creek without a paddle yeah they're sitting there with their thumb up their ass and hey kevin warren's no longer the commissioner of the big 10 He's off to run the Chicago Bears. So who knows what's going to happen next in the Big Ten. Maybe Penn State will start a season off at home in the Big Ten. Maybe. And I have another piece, I have another piece of breaking news for you. Michigan has just announced the big house will be getting an expanded tunnel. Not a second tunnel. It'll be an expanded tunnel. Tunnel gate. Tunnel gate is Partially over, uh, looks like they are going to be removing 45 temporary seats and adding 45 standing room only seats to keep their capacity above Beaver Stadium. Yeah. And um, it was, I think it was from Penn Live. Maybe I was reading the article from. Didn't realize that uh, Michigan got fined a hundred thousand dollars for the incident with Michigan State. Uh, Harbaugh called James Franklin a ringleader in a altercation between Penn State and Michigan, where allegedly. Some Nittany Lions threw some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, which sounds like a great halftime snack. I don't think I'd be uh, too upset about that. But um, yeah, so wider tunnel coming to the big house. They said, you know, even though there were no incidents of their last two home games, which were Nebraska and Illinois, which Nebraska got housed by Michigan. So I doubt their players were chirping in the uh, in the tunnel and Illinois was Illinois. So, um, yeah, look for that big house, some renovations going on to make the tunnel bigger. Maybe we avoid tunnel gate. Hopefully there are no more issues. Hopefully people are able to travel through tunnels. They're always a problem. We know this, especially well in Pennsylvania, looking at you, Pittsburgh, 
uh, and your inability to to maintain speed through the tunnels. But Kevin, next week we got a lot to talk about. We're going to be talking about some breakout stars and what we we expect from guys uh, throughout the program next year that that might be flying under the radar right now as spring ball starts to approach us. But for Kevin Quigley, this has been Jared Prugar on the Lashing Out Podcast and the Sports Now Network. We appreciate you.